podcast this is the first podcast of april we're kicking off april right strong with and a, ver- a guest that i'm almost speechless about um someone i'm really honored to have on um introduced by a mutual friend we have susan pike suzanne of the barbaric yops hi it's suzanne mark right thanks matt already uh, getting her name wrong really matt <laughs> Whatever. I I meant Suzanne. Anyway, it's really an honor to have you on. I'm glad that you were able to come on the podcast this week. Well, thank you for having me. I've heard so much about you guys, and it's kind of great to... Hey, words traveling. That us. We have friends and interesties. Interesties? No, I like that pluralization. That's actually (laughs) rather interesting. I'm not going to have to say anything. He's (laughs) doing it all. I'm doing it all for you. Um, (laughs) That's usually the role you play in the beginning. I'm going to be grammar. Let it happen. I'm going to be grammar all over the place. Ew. <laughs> yeah, it does sound kind of no, messy. It's, it's non-communicable. That uh, didn't help. We're sitting um, rather close to you, so thank God. Suzanne, can you tell us a little bit about the album you brought us this week? Uh, well, so I ran into this band at a rock festival a bunch of years ago, and I bought their album, and at the time it was really not what I was expecting. It wasn't the way they sounded on the stage, and then over the years it sort of worked its way into my life, and I play it when I go driving and I need to get out and I need to think about the deeper things and where our band is going. So um, Rival Factions has really sort of been a part of my creative process for a long time and Project 86 allows me to be angry when I need to be. So, so. so they've influenced you then? Oh, um, not so much in the artistic sense, but more in the sort of emotional and life quality sense. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think life qualities are often overlooked, come to think of it. Life qualities is in the qualities of life. Yes. What did you think I mean? I don't know. I was just trying to figure out where you were going with that. Sometimes you're so abstract, I don't understand a word you're saying. Wow, he's doing my other job. Being abstract? Yeah. No. John, you didn't even have to come this week. You could have so stayed home. I my... you guys. That's really bad. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we might as well just jump right into the record. Um, so our first track is called Evil, A Chorus of Resistance. Um, which is the intro track, obviously, being that it's the first. What is wrong with me this week? Several things, but we're not going to get to it on air. I'd like to announce that this song's in D minor. Thanks, Steve. Is, And the bearing of that is... The whole is song? The whole song? Largely. You sound unhappy about it. No, it's in D minor. What? I love D minor. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is it your favorite minor? Is it your major minor? Uh... Uh, he's been getting... doing this for all too long now. Y- yes. Yeah, well, that's fair. <laughs> See? <laughs> it is. Susan's on my side. I mean, Suzanne. Nice. Um, I thought this... I thought Evil was a was a very catchy introduction. And it did it did set up a theme that you'd come to see in a later album. They're, they're actually tackling uh, act, real topics here. And that's one of the big draws I found to this album. This this song was about 
basically abandoning the ideas of greed. I really enjoyed it, just walking away from the desire of wanting more and to fight against that desire. At the same time, it felt, well, it felt to be, you know, a great way to introduce yourself. It, it, it was catchy, but it felt a little safe to me. Well, I mean, the the thing you notice when the song first starts is that there's a, it has a strong, powerful start. It's kind of heavy. There's a unique vocal pairing where it's either the, the, the lead singer doubling himself or it's backup from the other band members. It's hard to tell at times in the song. Um... And it's a very verse-chorus structure in this first track, which is something we'll see a lot of as we go. Um, but, you know, it wasn't anything so repetitive or boring that I wasn't interested. It did engage me from the get, and that's probably because it had such a powerful intro. And probably the D minor. And the D minor. You're I still totally fixated on, the D on this D minor. Why shouldn't I be? It's D minor. Oh, okay. There you go. You have. You can have that. I suppose I'll expound. It's really heavy on the power chords. That's one thing I noticed. Well, that's about the band in general at this point. They they like their power chords. It's almost fluid in everything they do. Uh, but it did make for kind of a planned intro because again, power chords. They, they've sort of been there, done that at this point. I mean, you almost want a little bit more spice than just the simple, you know, hammer at home because then you're just <clears throat> left with the power chords the drums, which are actually rather interesting, but they get a little bit clouded by the power chords, and then the vocalist, which it's sort of a, somewhat of a typical hardcore style, somewhat screamy, of course. At the same time, even that doesn't quite reach out because of the power chords, so I feel like that's a little bit of a detractor for me, at least just in this intro. It's just change as, as little things fluctuate as it goes on. Well, that's where I speak to the whole, the, 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 the step back in that safety aspect. It wasn't new. And granted, well, this album is... 2007. So it's it's not something that, you know, is, you know, trying to break out in the scene now. This is a band that's done neighborhood of, what, six, seven albums all said and done? Like the last record was 2012. Yeah, they've done two since this album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then again, this was, of course, uh, a hardcore band occurring in 2007 that's that's i mean hardcore dates back to early 90s or at least in somewhat of a obvious yeah, they're, way they're, they're, and I mean, even more, back into its 80s roots there are more leanings towards industrial i'd say though than just straight up hardcore well seeing as uh seeing as suzanne seeing as you got into this band uh where would you place them genre wise um i know at the time they were presented to me as like hard rock industrial i mean i know that term is kind of mutated but at the time that's what we were calling it that's what it was presented to me as um i'm not really sure what i would have classified them as then because when they were on the stage their music was not this kind of harder crunchier sound they were doing more piano stuff i think if i remember correctly so interesting they may have already been starting to do other stuff i'm not sure well, the industrial is, is an interesting point to jump on because it's not something that i thought of right away but then again when you consider the the the, the the depth in the low end, in the low register here, actually there is somewhat of an industrial touch, and I do see that. I guess it's an it's element, it, it's it's a, it's an element in most hardcore. At the same time, it's not, it's not what people always think to pair. But I think there is a direct influence there. Um, but then again, that said, it's still a little bit of a generic intro. The, the interesting stuff is to come in this album. No, yeah, for sure. A, a, a comparatively, so, especially after the fact, yeah. Evil is definitely not the most 
exciting or unique track on the record. Yeah, if you wanted and, to just throw the song as a poster child of a particular genre, it, no one would really, you know, harass you for doing so. But at the same time, it does introduce the elements that make up this album in many ways. The the interesting drum work, while kind of shrouded here, is present in most of the songs. Uh, the power chords are, are present throughout the album. Um, and his vocals. His vocals is something that I really kind of harken back to what I really grew up with in, in high school and college. It's it's something I've, I've come to expect and the kind of music I actually like from back then. Uh, and that was actually refreshing. Yeah, I wasn't... The, vo- the way the vocalist sang was definitely a bit different from stuff we've done lately mm-hmm. and it definitely does harken back to that it reminds me more of the late 90s, even though it came out in the late 2000s. There's actually one band that we did do that does come to mind when I think of this. Although not so much in this song, it will come up a little bit later, but him. Oh, yeah. Yes. I can see the comparison to him, absolutely, who yep. came much later, I believe. Mm-hmm. No, him came out in the late 90s also, actually. I remember listening to him in, like, 2007, so it was still relevant then, so... Yeah. You can... Well, they put out an album last year, yeah. which was less relevant. But you can compare them at, in terms of context and... Um, so from the intro track, we move on to, um, put your lips to the TV. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm making sure I wrote that right. Cause as usual, I can't read my own handwriting. Um, this one I liked because of the, the direct kind of in your face message of you treated me like crap. Now I'm famous and you can kiss the TV, AKA you can kiss my ass kind of a message that's very much very, uh, you know, go F yourself kind of a thing. I need to point out the intro. Okay. Then I need to have a little rant on the intro. Oh, right. So, the yeah, intro no. to... Uh, well, I'll let Steve get into it, but so the intro to the track is this beautiful piano piece that lasts... It's six seconds. Like, exactly six seconds of this very bright, uplifting, sort of off-Broadway style. This, I mean, off-Broadway piano intro. You can almost picture, like, them in a, in a rehearsing room for, for like, a Broadway theater with right. these kinds of chords, because it's in just the piano. Hall. Yeah. Well, even less than that. Like, like in a basement of a church or something like that, but preparing for a play. Right. Which, you know, again, could probably be relevant later, but I, I was a little bit in search of it at this point. I was very, very confused as to why this would occur, because it's six seconds of something drastically different than what comes afterwards. And what comes afterwards is exactly what we had in the first track. It sort of goes back to the power chords. So, piano chords... Two guitar power chords. It's a really, really odd shift, which I almost took ironically. Almost. Um, well, I mean, also keep in mind, Su- Suzanne had said that they did do a lot of piano work, so maybe this was hearkening back to something that I, used to I do. thought that actually when she said but, it, you know, but you... I had thought only of this these six seconds. Right, but if you look at the the song as a whole, like it's talking about breaking free from the people that like raised you and are trying to keep you down, and they're trying to break free from that. So perhaps it's like you know you picture a small child forced to do their piano lessons. And what he really wants to do is wail on his guitar and become famous and, and get out of his small town. And I'm wondering if they're not trying to sort of bring in that, the, the, the music wafting out of the, out of the window of the house and no, screw that. I'm going to go do my own thing. Well, here's, my take, on it. here's it, my take on it. Just as in context, considering what you're saying, I would have suggested that maybe a band like Ween could have gotten away with this because they tend to genre shift and whatnot or tend to play a little those little ironies off each other on an almost constant basis. You get that throughout their album work, in which case this would be you'd be no stranger to this kind of dramatic shift. In this, it, it, it's maybe in context of the song, but not so much in context of the album. So it just left me with a big question mark. 
Well, I can see like retroactively the, the the context of the song. I can get that kind of sense of, oh, here's a pretty thing. Truck it out the window. This is what I really am trying to do. Yeah. And I, I can I can see that comparison. It actually makes a lot of sense. So you think it serves a very specific purpose? It's not like. Well, actually, to be to be frank, this is mentioned later on. Oh, stop! <laughs> this is mentioned later on, and this idea of uh, bucking the uh, what is expected of you it is is actually presented much later in the album, very very on the face. But it's it's kind of there throughout the whole album as a whole, as as the album as a whole, it it is there, and uh, we talked about it off the air, and this is something I'll bring up now because it's the main theme of this album, the overreaching arc is the ideas of conflict, not I, necessarily the the resolution of said conflict, but the idea of sort of a um, a very personal fighting against something. I think it's only more that this particular section it was not straightforward enough. To be on the nose, and it wasn't kooky enough to be abstract, and that was my only problem with it. But Granted, it, this is totally. But it caused a conflict. Uh, of course it did. And the two pieces conflict with each other. Well, there I, you go. It's not that strange. <sighs> there's, there's two. We've layers. made more from less. <clears throat> I've made a lot more from nothing. I agree. I, I just I have to be careful about where I put that that kind of emphasis because in this particular kind I feel like it could perhaps have been a little bit of a kooky throwaway. That's fair. Or for instance, there could have been other ways to do it. it it's strange, and actually the way they present both sides of the matter later in the album is a lot more on point than this. Just seems like a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a cheap shot to me. Just just to put it out there. Okay. He, I wanted to, I'll be on his side in this case. I wanted a hell of a lot more of that piano. No, I mean, the piano was gorgeous, and to get so little of it was kind of jerky, but I think jerky isn't it made you kind of jerk with the song, but I feel like that was intentional. I don't feel like that was an accident. I do have positives to say about the song. I'm okay. not going to leave it at that. That's literally six seconds that I'm, I'm griping with. Later on... You did on, spend a lot of time talking about six seconds. Yeah. Once the verse actually begins, uh, the opening riff, you get this... It's sort of... It's sort of, again, the same as what you get in the first track. So for that, I, you know, could take it or leave it. But then, all of a sudden, the verse, it has this little split where two beats of the verse continues as if to sort of repeat that same pattern indefinitely. And then, for beat three and four, the guitar gives way to this very gritty, metallic accent, which is, is actually kind of a dramatic shift because that provides some texture. You get some uh, texture at the low end, the low register, which uh, this has been fairly fairly mid-range up until now. So that was kind of a nice little quirk. Um, it hap- it lasted for the duration of the verses, which made me like the verses in the song a lot better than I liked the choruses, because the choruses, again, kind of went back to a little bit of blandness, could put it in anywhere, hardcore-ville. But <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, not too that bad. That would be a scary town to live in. That would be the metalist of towns to live in. And so, with this song, I think the thing that I liked best about it, because I know just when to not engage with John, I think I really like that also his singing had a very belty feel to this. You know, it kind of hammered home that kind of message that the lyrics were conveying. Actually, that was another observation of mine. That's one of the reasons I enjoyed the, that, you know, split between a riff and then three and uh, another two beats of, like, a low-end register because it helped highlight the voice itself. Because that was my problem mainly in the very first track here, is that the voice... 
it's again it's got a little bit of a generic quality if you put it over something so simple and bland as power chords then all of a sudden when you add more texture the voice has more depth and you notice that that screaming style of his you start to interpret emotions like passion and all the other things you would not get that otherwise if it's just there over a very uh bland backdrop well, let's also be clear that he's not screaming the whole song. He's screaming for moments. It's mostly singing. No, but I'm, I'm making a distinction between passionate screaming and screaming because it's of the style and it fits the groove. Well, this is something that I've always had a problem with in music personally, is I don't like screamo bands for that reason. When you're screaming the entire song, there's no gauge, there's no measurement, there's no emotion. Whereas for most of this record, when the lead singer, whose name I didn't bother to look up, which was dumb of me... Um, but when the lead singer's belting and screaming, it's for an accent emotionally most of the time. He's rarely just screaming for the hell of it. There are so- uh, There is a song here where he does do that, and it does lose a little bit of its effect. But most of the time, he's screaming to convey motion, emotion, whether it's passion or anger or frustration. But there's kind of an emotional accent connected to it, which I do enjoy. There was another thing here. The song actually had a solo. And there are not too many places on this album that actually have solos, and this did. Uh, for the second song, I was like, all right, that's interesting. I deem it an okay solo. I can't go too far with it because it was repetitive at times, but I'll give it this much credit. It was distinct. It added a little bit more of the high-end register, and it adds some just general sonic diversity to this overall sound at this point. Uh, but the pattern, when it occurred... It was interesting, but it felt like the stopwatch was on it. In other words, this type of music is so rigid within verse-chorus structure, I feel like that one spot couldn't expand to the best of its ability. It was a good riff. It was a good pattern. It just it felt constricted by the song itself. I mean, that's a fair judgment. I don't know that I overly noticed that. I kind of just enjoyed it as it went, but I can see what you're talking about. Uh, I'll actually attest to that as well. It does... I felt like... It was short. That's really what it comes down to. I would have liked that expansion. Yeah, it's an overly it was... complex of saying. No, no, no. It, it, yeah. it, it, it could have warranted some exploration in what it was doing. Well, also speaking... well especially since, of course, these early tracks, you always get three minutes, two minutes, three minutes, two minutes. These aren't very long songs. So I understand two... the, the uh, constriction here. Well, and also keep in mind radio play, because the mid-2000s, there was still a lot of radio play. The, the bigger songs that would get on the radio were songs that were short. Yep, three and a half or less. Yep, if they were over that, they didn't get any airplay. So if you make an album that's mostly under three minutes per song, You're getting on the radio. any of them can get on the radio, yeah. yeah. I'm not really sure they were trying to get on the radio, because what you have to remember is that um, this band was a Christian band, and when I saw them, they weren't even on the main stage at the rock festival. They were on the alternative stage, which is for the, the lesser-known wouldn't even get on the Christian mix CDs at the time. So these guys are not gearing for radio. I mean, they're not, they don't have a prayer of being on the radio. The best they can hope for is the secondary stage at a five-day music festival. So while, yes, that's true of the era, I'm not really sure that's what they're gearing towards. Perhaps that's literally the, their complete thought is very short. It's very like, no, I don't want this. I'm out. Done. So, well, do they have anything more to say? Not necessarily. So that That's definitely something I want to get into, though. Of course, the fact that we, we haven't really talked about that, but the, you wouldn't really call this Christian rock, necessarily. 
Well, you would. It would be classified as It would such. be classified. Okay. It would absolutely be classified as such. They're marketed as such. They're labeled as such. The entire band were practicing Christians, and therefore you would call okay. it. It's not a worship band. They're not singing about Jesus. Right. But they're coming at their lives and their art from a Christian standpoint, and they're moving in the Christian circle and playing at Christian shows, and probably 95% of their audience is Christian. Mm. So the odds of them getting on even a Christian radio are not particularly good because at, th- at that time you're listening to um, very boring, mainstream, flat-sounding bands. And the There's much of a, a much Christian more safer Yeah, um, I can't remember the name, but like, you know, very one pop-punk band, very safe, very... They take the folk route, soft, they take the country route, something that rock, can suit you. Stephen Curtis, Chapman, David Crowder, you've got friendly, user-friendly, but not particularly... Um, alternative not heavy anything even remotely crunchy is put on the second stage and only the weird kids are at that show so these are these are names you'd only hear in a certain circle but i imagine you know you wouldn't find them on yeah it's true that you wouldn't find these on too many uh of the larger radio stations but yeah no that's actually not not a bad point all things considered about their audience they have a very distinct message and that's something that's one of the reasons i wanted to bring that to the table of course that i mean i'm glad you brought it up it there is a distinct theme here that's going to go hand in hand with their Christian faith. And I, I think we should start getting into that because uh, despite the musical standpoint, the lyrical standpoint is very, very heavy on that. Music, I mean, I, I guess I appreciate the fact that I, that there are Christian bands out there that cross many, many genres because we don't often hear about it. It's true. We do often only hear about the lighter side of things. So that immediately sort of turned this a little bit around for me, just in the fact that they're pursuing a different style well, also, I mean, it's not so obvious that it's coming from a Christian standpoint as much as it's... Com- the, there's, the overarching theme is conflict. There, you can find Christian themes in the songs, but you can also find other themes that kind of fit the same mold, too, for, for some of the songs. Some of the songs are very much, <coughs> later on the album, very much fit a very specific mold, and we'll get into that, especially lyrically. And that's actually where uh, most of the the... Their actual backing seems to shine through. Uh, Put your lips to the TV actually starts with the line, you want my head in the basket, which is already drawing from uh, biblical imagery here. But this town ain't big enough for the both of us. The two of us are a disaster. I'm not your stepchild anymore. It's really talking about uh, John the Baptist to some extent. That's where they're drawing some inspiration from here. But this is not something that you're going to really get right away. That's that's another thing. You, it's not so overtly Christian as to turn off other people. Well, no, and that's what you see a lot, like in the Christian music scene, is that the the bands themselves, while the members are Christian and they're mostly singing to a Christian audience, they're not singing necessarily about being a Christian. Like if you get a band that has a very strong atheist background, it's going to color the way they view the world and the way they write things. So this is what they know. This is what their their background is, but it's not. I'm a Christian, I'm going to sing about being a Christian, this is my Christian song, you know? It's it's more, this is the um, the literature that I grew up with, this is the imagery I draw from, whereas if you were more of a like Shakespeare English background, you'd probably have more Shakespearean elements in there. So it's, it's less being a Christian and more, this was the stuff I grew up with, that's what I'm going to pull from, because it's my core background in, in education and um, worldview. I appreciate that uh, for that exact reason. I pre—I mean, I appreciate this sort of a new for that exact reason because it's—it's. It's, 
I, I personally am of the philosophy that it's never too nice to be preached to, especially in your art. It's okay to have a message that's translated that you can interpret however you want, but that's not the same as preaching. Um, that, I think, is a big distinction between certain types of Christian rock bands and other type of Christian rocks. Some use it as a pulpit, and others use it simply as a metaphorical uh, uh, tabula bla rasa, if you want. Will. There's the incidental Christians, and then there's the worship bands, and those are the guys you're going to see praising Jesus on a stage, and people are there to have like a an actual um, sermon and some worship music and stuff, and that's a whole different genre. Right, and that was that was my experience yeah. going into this. I could have easily interpreted this as anything until, of course, you informed me that it's Christian. As I have to take it as a good to, like, to you, you have to have the knowledge. Right, but sit you where you are. Like you can listen to this as not a Christian and find things in your own life that you can relate right. to. Yeah, the lyrics are fair. I mean, they they're not often on the nose. No. So, like yeah. I said, there's only a couple songs later at the end that are very much on the nose, but I, but still calling attention to very specific things. Well, speaking of one of the ones that's really not on the nose that I could have taken as anything, especially is the uh, track three, The Forces of Radio Have Dropped a Viper into the Rhythm Section, which <laughs> immediately... title ever. It is like it because of the long title. I, of course, like it as from a musician standpoint. I like tracks that don't take themselves too seriously. And if you don't look at the lyrics too much, uh, even if you do... This could be taken simply as a reference to the music itself and not yeah. any particular theme at all because that's the kind of thing that bands like to do a lot is make little references to the kind of things that would come up in rehearsal, in the studio. So it's a nice way of sort of referring to the kind of rhythms that they do. Well, and also the way this song starts with this kind of erratic, panicked drumming is very much like the idea that either A... <coughs> A viper is banging out the beats because it was dropped into the rhythm section, or B, it's the, trying to the, eat no, no, you. Yeah, the person in the rhythm section is being attacked by a snake and frantically flailing. Either way, it really does kind of convey that, regardless of what the lyrics say. You get a sense of that from the drum fills and from the the drumming, which is on on display in this track. But, but said, that wasn't what, no, that wasn't my favorite part of the music, and the, the my favorite part was actually the guitar work. For all the the enjoyment that the drums were actually doing. The guitar, it, it really kind of did its own thing throughout it, but it did communicate well what was going on in spite of the franticness the drums were doing. And uh, it's something that every once in a while the drums would actually uh, completely drop out and you would just get that sweet little guitar and vice versa. The guitar would drop out and you just get the, the, the frantic drums and it was a great back and forth tete-a-tete between the two of them that tete-a-tete is exactly which, which i want to speak because that that's the connectivity I, I feel is there between the the title and the musical flow in general uh, which again there's no trace of, of real meaning i think uh directly to the lyrics in in a way of course you get little elements of here and there again we're going to get to that but without a trace of facetiousness i i appreciate that directness quite a bit you get this in the meter when the singer begins speaking in unison with the kick drum and the bass because they're both sort of running and that's that tete tete that i feel there's this there's this frantic nature just as you described where everything is in unison it's rare for all three instruments to sort of unify in that way uh and especially in the verse that that's pretty intense it feels like the entire band is collectively running away you don't get it in just one element you get it in all that's always a nice way to uh to to get that across to get any kind of speed across uh, but one thing that I, I thought was actually, it, you, you spoke about the verses, and the verses were actually really, really good, and it was that... <laughs> totally separate, though. No, it was totally separate, but it actually sort of uh, 
unparalleled what the instruments were doing because it had a very much a phrase, a word by word, phrase by phrase, and the way it was all presented. I'm analog, two inch tape. It was very matter factually, and it kind of uh, is the word belied the word I'm looking for. No, um, no, probably not. <laughs> it kind of gave lie to the whole frantic nature of what was being built in the extra instruments themselves. That it was very much a kind of manufacturally stated lyrical piece. And yet it's also really, the analog stuff, it's more of a metaphor. He's using it as a direct metaphor, but he's talking about the analog and how it's about to strike him as a memory. Like this nostalgic, I'm this thing, but it could hit me at any moment analog in the way that you treat other nostalgic things because of course analog everything we associate with nostalgic especially at our age probably was taken down in analog such as eight millimeter uh 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 tapes camcorder tapes any any little element of memory probably was recorded in analog so yeah it's probably not gonna be true for the next generation but it's very important for ours i actually saw that the the it was kind of uh it was kind of speaking to you have to be careful of what you do because the past can still harm you. It can still come back to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So just because you are where you are right now, don't forget that you are more of a summation of the good and bad in your life. And speaking also to that element of memory that he actually makes a direct reference to a case of an analog recording like vcrs i recall i remember the magic so i take one last trip down the lane of your memory it's sweet honestly i have to say that admits even though in my personal opinion there's very little connectivity here between this and the speed of the song unless of course you're it's running sweet, away from but you know that whole idea of the viper and the roses it's sweet it's the lane of your memory till you twist like a viper it's this illusion of sweetness Followed by this poisonous thing that's gonna bite your feet. That's you, actually you go to the to very at. next line. It's this very sweet. Oh God, there's poison in this memory. Uh. He 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 lures you in with this sweet, this sweet nostalgia, that warm idea of 1996. But no, it twists immediately. I I I'm lulled into the sense of false security, and then it twists. And I remember you're a viper, and this memory thing. I it's bad. It's this yeah, song overall is very much about escape and getting away from this danger and that's what the speed represents and that's where the connectivity between this yeah, speed just and the dealing with the past. I, I, I think from a from a theoretical standpoint, I think that's that's true. And actually I'm sure that's exactly what he's doing. It's more about from the emotional standpoint to me, it was an odd way to represent it. Only odd just in that I don't I I can't feel when I read these lyrics, for instance, I, I, as poetry, I think it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I, I, can, I can get into it, but I feel a little bit more of a heart-wrenching sensation than I get from the overlying of, again, we're sort of, I mean, it's not the same power chords we're getting in track one, track two, but it's still very, very heavy. It's, 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 it's pervasive. Right. That kind of pervasiveness takes me a little bit away from the emotion, just my personal opinion. It's still a great message. But I have to treat him separately in this case. Well, just from my experience. Just, just throwing this out there, and I'm kind of spitballing it off the cuff here. Uh, you ever have that that memory of that one thing that really can get your heart beating again? That can really get you apprehensive or upset again. But it 
it will replay slow-mo in your mind. You can go moment by moment. And that's what he's doing here. He's going moment by moment with that memory. And it's just a... Right, but the music itself, all I'm saying, is the antithesis of slow-mo. But no, that's what I'm saying. It will raise your blood pressure. It will speed up your heart. But it is almost a crystallized instant that is just so overwhelming. So you're saying that the music itself is actually a reaction to what you don't yes. want to happen? Well, it's a reaction to the memory. It's the, it's the reaction to what he's singing to. Interesting. All right. I really just... like this interpretation. <laughs> I really like this one. And it's not metaphorical. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, moving on to track four, Molotov. Um, <laughs> so this one, this one was one of my early favorites on the album. I ended up liking a lot of tracks a little bit better, but this one <clears throat> really got me going and actually made me quite nostalgic for a sound that I remember growing up and listening to. It had that kind of, um, how to put it? I mean, it was a very steady song, but I, it wasn't I know exactly repetitive. how to put it, because this, of course, was not really hardcore in, as, as what we've been getting. This was right. actually, especially in the, in the resonance of the guitars, this had much more of a new wave sound. Yes. Much more higher register. The, uh, the drums, specifically, was one of the reasons I thought this found, sounded kind of new wave, sort of early 80s. Uh, the super high energy drums that you get in the beginning with those snare drum accents where the snare is just stuck struck once really heavily no rolls so you don't get that reverberating effect otherwise instead everything feels very tight just as new wave was that's sort of separate from hardcore in my opinion so this was a, a, a marketable a marketed uh genre shift right here another reason of course was the tinny guitar with lots of reverb on them and then third was the singing there was a moment here where i thought he was even putting on inflection of like an 80s british pop band of course it's american but it's the it's the inflection that ended up coming across just in this one particular line this is another point where i'm going to say that the music kind of ironically and i'm going to defend using that word ironically uh approaches <coughs> the lyrics because here you're getting a more of a kind of upbeat almost I mean party for this album but party-ish kind of music which is actually a song about trying to leave the debauchery of that uh, away trying to go get away from that trying to actually become a little more grounded and trying to get away from as he puts it the, the sort of nightlife of uh, you know outright sin interesting well, I mean, definitely in the way he was singing in this track, it seemed more heart heartfelt and sincere. Not that the other tracks weren't sincere, but there was definitely <laughs> another level of emotion on this track, the way he sang, that didn't immediately come across in the other tracks as clearly. And also, I want to speak to the bridge on this track, because even though it had cliche moments, it was one of the more entertaining bridges on the record, and got to show us a little more of what this band is actually capable of. Definitely agree with you there. Uh... It was an interesting bridge, at least at the moment where everything boils down to, uh, I think it was the final line was, and now they call me a fool for leaving. And he starts reiterating that, and he actually drags out that final line, leaving, and it all builds, and then there's just drums, just him and drums alone. Interesting, because I wanted to see where they go with this, because it could have easily been the thing where you just provide as an insert, uh, sort of an interlude, before you actually begin another verse. That's the way it was presented, did not go that that way it actually went to a full-fledged bridge which i was so separate in a way that i almost interpreted as a b section it was a it was a, a reimagining of the first verse that was more intensified 
than what the first verse was. He gets higher, everything gets a little bit more uh, filled out. Again, higher register, more well-rounded. Altogether, it came across as a completely different section. So yeah, it was a it was a great it was a great medium. Yeah, the, I mean, this song had a great construction, I think, and that's what really holds it together. Whereas a lot of tracks seem to be very very strictly verse chorus. This was still verse chorus, but that bridge broke it up just enough that it gave it a unique feel that really made it a standout track at this early part of the well, this almost midpoint of the album. I did have issue with the lyrics, though. This felt like a, a definite uh, downturn as far as the lyrics go. It just got a little bit too wordy at points. And the real crux of it was something I just... The I just words were too of. wordy for you? It it was just a little too much alliteration, inflection. I don't know. But the line, Too bad they can't say at the break of dawn that the night was a dream. Yet nobody can say at the rise of the sun that it was what it seemed. The way it's phrased is just a little bit too much for me. I disagree. I think that you're. I don't personally have any problem with that. Yeah, I think it. It's very clearly stating that. I wish that was a dream, so I can pretend it never happened. But it wasn't, and it was bad. Like. No, I get exactly what it's saying. And I, I know that. If I had any problem, maybe it's just because the, the way in which they, they structure their lyrics is very, very matter-of-fact. So it's, yeah, you've, you can't look too deeply in terms of like, oh, I love the meter there. Oh, yes, iambic, what's, what's... It, it's just, it, it is just so. You could read this. Too bad they can't say at the break of dawn that the night was a dream. Yet nobody can say at the rise of the sun that it was what it's... I mean, it's, 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 it's straightforward. I do see what they're doing. Eh, dream seemed, but it's 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 not like brilliant, right? It's running more towards prosy as opposed to poetical. Exactly. Is prosy the technical term? Well, yes. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> she said it. Well, yeah. I mean, she she did. And you're too lazy to look it up. I know. Um, but I I just have to flat out disagree with John, which is fine. I mean, a personal gripe like that is something to personal preference, but. I think that it's conveying a message clearly, and Steve said it was not brilliant writing, but it's not overly complicated either. Um, it is a I, I mean, just to just to go all the way back here, I see what John's pointing out in in terms of the not overly brilliant delivery here. Uh, to go back even just to the very first song, you had uh, this was something we didn't mention at the time because I didn't think it was particularly relevant. I tend to just gloss over first songs uh, lyric wise because it's more about you know does the music. It get me into the groove or not but there was a moment uh where everything is just i want something you have you must meet my demands don't move hand it over i won't stop until it's in my hands that's so matter of fact yeah. you know even when it was singing i remember thinking like eh, they're not really trying to beat around the bush or add any metaphors uh at least in this particular moment it just sounded so it sounded like he was just speaking and there happened to be music there Sometimes that is a little bit of a fault of this band. Just sometimes. But, again, there's other moments where it's incredibly poetic. So, eh. Just saying. Just, <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Okay. Well, I'm just saying the title of the next track. That was terrible. I'm sorry. Well, fine. Just have um, to say it. Um, track five, we're now at the midpoint of the record, is Slaves to Liberty. Um... I don't really remember the song that well, and all I wrote was meh, so I'm pretty sure I was not impressed with it. No. There was a lot more to say about this. This um, was a... I really back enjoyed uh, the continuation of 
the 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 irony they're kind of building because the song is a beautiful little sweet kind of poetic piece that's full of screaming and it's so conflicted in that manner uh it's also the whole message of it is i'll be there for you to some extent and i it, it's kind of weird the way it's delivered and i liked it for it and that was really really odd considering the music and again, someone please point point out to me uh, if there's if there's a reason to the contrary. The music was perhaps the most grating uh, brand of of this genre here on this album. You find this sort of in the middle. I tend to find this is a little bit of a, a a trope when it comes to lots of punk albums, where there's this one song usually happens somewhere around the middle where they just go balls to the wall. The essence of what punk should be, it should rile you up and it should it should grate a few people. In this case, they use a particular thing. It opened up with a kind of sound you'd almost equate to feedback. Let's say it's this screeching that that sort of rings in the song, and then for the, for an intro. It takes a little bit of a break while the riff steps in, but then it comes back in, in the verse, just in spurts. And this is just, I don't know, it's it's a classic example it of that. It was very grating. You know that that's the point, of course, artistically. Right. I just, I, I have to question it, considering the theme that John just mentioned. Could it be the difficulty of him reaching, trying to reach the individual he's singing to? And the interference that's preventing him from properly communicating what's going on? I mean... It's, it's quite possible because he's talking and, you know, you see that common Christian element of always like, you need to, you need to kneel, you need to humble yourself and he's, and, and being broken. Very often we always talk about like, oh, you need to be broken in order to be healed and all this blah, blah stuff. And it's grating to hear that you have to, he, he wants their legs to be broken so they can't get <coughs> away from this thing. Like that's a grating thing. It, it breaks, he breaks. It's possible that that's what they're intending. I'm not sure, but it hurts to listen to. It hurts to hear it. It hurts to be told that you need to go through pain. It hurts to be told you need help. That too. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. But it it does boil down to it's this song is a, is an offer of help, trying to reach the person. Oh, you I both th- make such fine cases for a song that I don't want to like. <laughs> well, see, but that's the thing is, Steve, as we've discussed, you don't have to like it for it to be an accurate portrayal of, of something. It's an ar- After 87 episodes, I it, would never argue with you in this point. Yeah. It's something I'm used to in a lot of music over the years, but I will say that, yeah, at, at this point in my life, I kind of don't want to hear it anymore. I, w- I understand it from an artistic point of view, uh, and I like it for it. I, w- I understand it from a late 90s, early 2000s point. Even 2007, I feel, was a little past this, because I feel there are, just just putting it out there, I feel there are other artistic ways of expressing the similar kind of thing. It's felt a little cliche, just that they use that style to go for that. But it still worked. I agree, yeah. but your points are perfectly valid. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, for me, this is an art versus music thing, and I just don't I artistically like where they go, but I get it. At a base level. a few times I'm actually more on the art side than anything else. Which is terrifying to me. Yeah, a little unusual. Just don't become me, John. Cats I'm telling you, dogs, don't become me. Living in harmony. Mass hysteria. Um, thank you for finishing the quote. Um, <laughs> let's, let's take on track six. Pull me closer, violent dancer. Aha. I see what you did there. Um, poor Elton. Yeah, poor Elton. But at the same time, this was... This was a... I love the depth of the percussion. 
Yeah, this is where uh, the drummer really gets into it in this song. The subwoofer would almost be unhearable. It was hitting uh, just beautiful depths and really rumbling deep down in the chest. That's something that I always will like. Musically, this song is very catchy. Um, I put Swayworthy, though I don't know that that's a completely accurate representation. It, it feels... Whether the song is supposed to be truly romantic, it, it, it's conveyed in a romantic way, even if the lyrics don't support that, because I don't honestly remember them that well, but it's kind of... the way of... the music supports that, uh, in a very, very odd way, actually. Yeah. I bring you in on this, Suzanne, you were the first to mention that this has somewhat of a more horror-type element yeah, to it. I had, um, I had read a review several years back, um, someone who had been really into Project 86 previously, and then this album came out, and it was very thematically different from their other stuff in terms of music and one thing that he had said and then after I'd heard it I realized it really was there is he talked about how this album the undertone is those chords that you will find in the black and white horror movies that that um deliberate sort of lugubrious it makes me mm-hmm. uneasy deep um bomb 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 thing it's like that that off kilter um vibe and this song, while, yeah, it is kind of romantic in a sense, like, you want to be that dancer that's making him feel all of these things, it's also frightening. It's that monster music. Um, and I identified what two she, those elements were. And he calls her flat out a monster. Yeah. You know, the monster is your face, and I need to tame it, but also that draw of the monster at the same time. It's uh, It almost becomes a representation of uh, a lot of things. Uh, addiction of bad love, of so many things that you know are somewhat harmful for you, but or really harmful for you, but you just have to be drawn to. It's sort of... and it, But it's still presented in such a way as, I'm going to lead you to safety. But this is the bad guy going, hold my hand, I'll lead you to safety. It's 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 got a real duality going to it. Or is or is she the bad person? This is this violent dancer and and, and the addiction she, yeah, is the okay. bad person, mm. but it's also something he loves. So it's it's got that real heavy duality uh, built right into it, and it's not clear cut about it. This is definitely where they're getting a little more metaphorical about what he's singing to what or is what he's singing about. Yeah, this song gives a depth that the earlier songs haven't, and we start to really get into a depth here at the te- the second half of the record. You get. A different the lyrics aren't as face value as they were earlier or they're heavily face value because they're driving a message home i don't know if if, you, if i should feel like oh yay love or oh no fear i just i just don't know it and i like that that there's this kind of con the conflict in this song is what to feel it can be both and right. and and i like that kind of conflict where you're emotionally unstable you're emotionally in the gray it's always fascinating. And for me, one of the reasons that's a little more successful here than perhaps earlier on is because, again, the, the blend between theme and music, using the music to actually further that very odd nose in this uh, case, because that horror, I mean, you, you hear it in certain elements. You hear it in, in the melody, particularly. Uh, one place I noticed where you get that sort of horror sound is uh, this flat five that occurs right at this uh, don't worry, don't worry, come with me, Come with me and move now. And right there on the move, it's emphasized. It's right there on the beat. Yeah. That flat five that's so 
I mean, grating is not the word in this case. It's just, it's awkward. It's a little bit demented in its way. So that's what sounds kind of horrific, because usually that note would be used in sort of a passing nature, but this is emphasized. And also the way he says it, this move now almost is an order, not a request. Exactly. Really is what's supposed to make you... No, yeah, his volume swells yeah, on he, the note he, and everything. He really pulls out the O. It's a move now. Like, yeah. He's going to make you dance, but... It's yeah. going to draw it out of you, this sensual horror. I noticed that, in fact, that it, it doesn't even seem... It seems like he could be a little bit between pitch at that point. Of course, that's what the voice can do. You have that, that capability. So it sounds like he's not maybe just broaching the flat five, or he could be a little above it, a little below it. He does move around, moves around the note while he's saying move. It's... it's Again, I have to point out little musical quirks like that, because that's what really ties the song together for me. And it, it, it all in all is what really makes this song a very solid song on the album. And it's where this album really t starts to take a rise, especially for me. Um, now we'll get into one of the more face value songs. Though even even still, this has some lyrical vagueness in moments. But So this song, track seven, is Illuminate. Um, originally, upon hearing it, I thought it was more singing towards a we're going to set stuff on fire, the pyroman pyromaniac's dream. Um, but it's really not. It's actually more about bringing to light the bad and the bad getting what's coming to them. It's pr it it does a um, it a little uh, makes allusions towards uh, bringing down judgment. Yes, but not that he's bringing down judgment, but judgment will be brought, and those who deserve it will be judged as such. I'm gonna pull a John here, though. Oh, first of all, I agree with you. This is probably not the most standoutest track on the album for sure. But I'm going to pull John here just in terms of lyrics because apart from the music, which I feel was sort of returning to the beginning in a way, mm -hmm. like and now that we've been brought in somewhat of a new direction, I feel like they kind of they kind of went back on themselves at this point. It was back to the power chords, sort of nothing really new other than the verse chord structure you've been used to getting. And then when you look at the lyrics, I I, I appreciate that that theme at the same time. I'm not really a fan of the writing in this particular case, or maybe it's not so much that, it's maybe I was not as much a fan of the singing in this case. You get night falls like a vulture on its prey. Everything is so just rigid. It felt very, it felt weak to me. It felt like, like, like he wasn't personally behind these words. Well, and if you look at it from what we were saying about like judgment is happening, he's not... He's quoting something he knows is going to happen. It, it isn't his words. It's He's like, conveying them. They're not his. <clears throat> it's right. warning. It's a warning, but it's not his warning. It's a higher warning. Um, he's like, a vessel for this message. Right. He's talking about how we're the light, but what he's when he's talking about like the skeletons burning and the, the, the dark deeds that happen and they're hidden by darkness, he's talking about them, but it's not... It's not his words. It's like, if you're going from the Christian, it's God's words. Like, I will bring judgment. I will do this thing. I will burn you. And he's simply repeating something that he's heard before, perhaps. But, but also it, very hmm. matter-of-factly. This is a thing. It's a vulture. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I've already heard it. Whatever. But this wasn't the sort of theme that was being built in the album. That's where I really have the problem with this song. It wasn't fire and brimstone. It was the... Every other song was just about trying to find strength or defeat this conflict. This is more pointing well, out the weaknesses well, instead of trying to find the strength. It is a rallying cry, though. Like, yeah. It is time to spark ourselves in this hour. He's calling. We have to light these things There's up, everybody. Stand up. Light up those things. Light it up. Light it up. 
be that yes. thing. Show it's not evil. a conflict per se so much as a rallying cry. And there's but a strength in that rallying cry because he's trying to gather the masses in the light. He's pulling them out of the darkness. It's mostly the verse work is just... It just it, it is doesn't. Boring. <laughs> it, it's not just boring. It's just it doesn't really allude to that. Now, you know what? You know it's, what I think this is. It's really divorced. It's almost like two voices are singing between the verses and choruses. I mean, I think it's a fantastic point you're making, and I think it really does tie together this album very, very tightly from a thematic perspective. I, I think the real problem is just sort of again the medium in which they chose to do it. I feel like it just it just holds it back a little bit. It's what I said before, constricting because. Remember when I said uh, when that with that little piano intro, how I said it wasn't it wasn't straightforward enough to be on the nose, and it's not kooky enough to be abstract. I think that's the problem I'm having with this. I could feel that. All right, yeah, he's not behind the, the the lyrics. And then when I think about it, yes, that's true. It it may very well be because of that, because of the lyric. I I see the theme is tied, you know, wound tight. At the same time, it's just go all or go home. It's the principle I feel with this. It's a little too subtle for something, for a message so strong. And see, for me, the thing that really gets me about this song is, it's, (coughs) I mean, the idea of a guilty pleasure is such a dumb thing anyway, because you should like what you like regardless of what others think. But that said, the fact that this song is so cliche in musical presentation is probably why I like it so much. I get that it's tropey and that it kind of clouds this message of, that lyrically might stand out more if there was a, a better backdrop for it. That said, I still enjoy it. Well, as a rallying cry, it's really, it, it's a, it's a it's a it's good in spades. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah. It is catchy. It is easy to learn, and that's actually speaking positives about it. It's something that will stick around in your head, and that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to say, "Rise above evils." Maybe that's where it's just not strong enough for me, though. Right, and I can see that. But I'm just saying, for me, that was enough. And But that's totally a personal preference at that point. I'll withdraw one thing. It is abstract, for sure. Yes. It definitely is abstract. Because the, there is a nature here where I feel like there, he is on the pulpit, and it's totally ironic. And I, I feel like that's not too difficult to see. So I'll admit that much about this track. Um, but now, it's speaking to face value stuff, um, track 8 is really where we get... <laughs> <clears throat> he's clearly got a message he's conveying and it's here so the sanctuary hum this is where this is his song to say hey this shit's not good and it's gotta stop and he's talking about things that are very much closely tied to religion and and stuff tied within it that's no good and ha- that has to stop and this isn't the, let me start at just the title itself the sanctuary hum not him to choose a word that is so similar in sound yet means something completely different. This is I I love that word hum, the background noise, the the something the, the vibration, the gossip of the sanctuary. That's where I took it from because this yeah. decries sins being covered up by and for the people in the cloth not even the people the leaders the, congregation. the, the leaders and not yet yeah, not just the people in the cloth but because of this the 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 society that they're building in this setting it it's you can't talk about what's being talked about in this song this song does an amazing job of of presenting a truly righteous anger that i feel and it's just purely infectious for me and it's coupled with one of 
the the best mood changing and the best mutable music in the entire album. This is and again, speaking of irony, so many, speaking so of irony, many of it's a very, very ironic mood change. And yet it's the most powerful one in the entire album, but you can't take it so seriously considering the theme here. That's uh, th- This was absolutely fascinating. And I noticed this, of course, just within the track length, of course, you get five minutes. You know this is going to be somewhat be the magnum opus of the, of the album. Uh, but in, the, in this, this A section, of course, yes, you get a lot of pent-up rage here. Lots of pent-up rage. You, see, you hear that in the, the sort of steady yet halting, jerking riffs. And then all of a sudden, once you get through the verse, the B section, it lifts as if everything is okay. And that's here in the lyrics. You know, smile, wave, convince the sanctuary, our charade. Though you're the object of my deepest rage, just counterfeit this holiness for me and everything will be okay. That, that's the scene change. Yeah. All of a sudden, everything is just a, in the album, it's a scene change. Yeah. This is the most uplifting. You get this ethereal... Uh, uh, ambience behind everything you know everything is very much l- more lighthearted at this point and yet you know you know it's an illusion it's an illusion exactly. and that's the actual the this the interspersed guitar and and drum work which does a, a great job of showing the lie that's being developed here which speaks directly to the theme of the lyrics this song is it, it really comes together for me at at the very end, the last time uh, they go into the verse, because the first two verses are a one person telling another to lie, but it's it's the third verse where "Cry Girl" become the walls of uh, the wails of victims unheard. Your tears have given you the calm nerve. So if they're asking you to hide your bane, you just keep screaming to the grave. I love that. I love that, that almost cry havoc and lip slip the dogs of war. But it's so towards, it, it's not towards that that great conflict. It's just towards that lone voice in the woods crying out. That's exactly what it is. But it's, it's not even a, a the woods. It's like there. If you if you look at the um, like the whole song, you get the idea that this isn't the first time it's happened, and he's very sort of sarcastically saying, you know, smile and wave and do this horrible charade and it, it infuriates him and, you know, protect this man's pulpit, this supposedly holy man. And then he is telling her, cry out, be that thing. But then he makes it bigger than her. And he says, you'll be the reason the helpless celebrate. And then, and then the he that he next refers to, I think, stops being about this perpetrator and becomes that overly religious theme. He takes us from our shame. Like, if you do this thing, if you cry out, if you speak for these silent victims, you, through God or whatever, will be lifted out of this shameful place. You will elevate, you will illuminate it, you will become that focal point. It will be fine. And while Probably it... no accident you're quoting Shakespeare, because what you're describing sort of is a three-act play. That's what we get here, in a way. We have, in one sense, the, the, the anger that's inside him while he's being told all this at some point i think it actually works i think it convinces him for a certain segment of the song and then of course there's that release that can't have they can't work indefinitely that's uh the third section of the song tends to get very thrash metally particularly i think uh that think was around sort of exactly and it, it's yeah. not it's not just speaks to any one doctrine faith or religion or oh, even no, event sure. it's just speaks to uh, the the voiceless victim and that itself there's so many different connotations to it 
And this is just asking <coughs> anyone to give voice to the victims. Uh, which is... Which is, is uh, you know, something that society should do anyway, and we shouldn't even have these victims, and that's besides the point, and that, to some extent, infuriates me. But this is just a beautiful... It's a call to it's arms. It's powerful. It's everything. It gives strength to the, the, the powerless. It is... It is just so multi-layered to me. Between the, the, the vocals, the lyrics, and the music, this is so far one of the most emotional songs of the year for me, and it's already already in the running for uh, uh, emotion and lyrics for me. Well, I just love this song. I, I think also the cherry on top is the fact that this song is cyclical. You have that three-act play, and then it begins again. Yeah. You get a repetition of exactly the same thing, which actually is, you know, that's why it's course it's five minutes it is repetitive in that way but it's it's so appropriately repetitive because you lose sight of really where you are because everything it dramatically shifts and i think by the time the it repeats itself it's a little bit more uh a, a little bit more directly stated i think yeah well and also keep in mind the message being yeah. conveyed that cycle repeats itself too you know especially if the victim doesn't cry out Exactly. It all just happens And of course, again. this is the kind of thing that could easily eat up a person for years and years and years, if not their whole life. So yeah. this, is, this really does cover a lot of ground in this track. And as you pointed out prior to the podcast, Suzanne, uh, the subtle hints of the chorus work uh, being thrown in there, the sort of kind of airy, open, uh, churchy feel that it has as an underlying note really really is becomes a very pointed statement which adds another layer to it and it, it's it's calling out people at this point uh fearlessly yeah yeah it's face value and it's making a point and he doesn't care he just wants this point made which is i mean especially with dealing with this is the way you should go about it uh, this is this sort of stuff is half the reason i raved about um, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis last year. Right. Which is wh why I, I raved about uh, so much stuff in the past. This I love this. Right, when you call out the bullshit for being <clears throat> bullshit. No, not only that, it's just... it's re it, You got so many... It's so many different aspects. I'm right. going to keep raving about this song if we don't move on. Okay, then let's <laughs> just do that. Um, so the next track, track nine, is Caveman Jam. Um... A song that I completely glazed over the first listen, but when we were listening to it together today, I caught a sense of the lyrics that I had missed before, and essentially this is this is a personal note from the artist to the fan, um, and it's very much about how a lot of people consider his music, Neanderthal rock, this kind of nonsense that's just heavy and... Booga booga, I bash things, make noise. It was a... And it's not. It's a, it's, it is a pretty close to what you would expect from a hardcore jam yeah um but it really just is it's it's a call out to to it's a rebuttal to the clear uh the critics yeah because the Why critics could say... be nice boys and the critics could be music critics they could be you know friends and family asking or you know uh or what leaders I did. of the community what i did earlier in the album yeah yes. yeah this it but, would but be it comes around... individuals that are saying why do you do this why you were such a nice boy why, and why don't you make sweet music? Why don't you make uplifting music? And they're like, well, I can't. And you know why? And why is that last verse where that, that one fan comes up to them and is like, what you did there, what you did with that music made me a better person. 
more than that. It made them a living person. It basically, the first one is, why can't you be sensitive? And the second one is, why are you so angry? And the third person is, if you had not done these things that are insensitive and harsh and aggressive and this kind of music, he, the, the fan is flat out saying, I would be dead. And that's mm-hmm. a powerful. Message. I would be dead. I would be six feet under if you didn't have these caveman gems. That was the thing, is it's it may be to someone too harsh, to someone else too angry, to someone else it is their lifeblood. It is what's keeping them going. So it's something for everyone. His art works for somebody. I yeah. think in that way, Beyond yeah, himself. his his entire discard well, maybe not whole discography, but especially this album is sort of a catharsis, just in the same way we we saw a catharsis in the previous track. It, yeah. The whole thing kind of is fitting that. And and at first I thought this song was kind of out of place, but going back now, if you had had Sanctuary Hum and the next track back to back, it would have been too much. It would have been too heavy. You needed to break it up with still some semblance of a message, but something a little lighter, something a little easier to get through. And a little groovier. And a little groovier. Because, because having those two songs back to back would have been too much. It would have overloaded the system. This is a nice little break, but still goes in a different direction and takes you on a ride. And it does have that jammy kind of feel, which is appropriately named. But it's jammy on an ironic level also because he's playing that exact music that he's being criticized for. Hyper-focused. And this this just shows, you know, confidence. Self-awareness. There you go. Self-awareness, yes, which not all of us have. So. A very, very interesting type of self-awareness also when you consider that the choruses here are really inward, really, really introverted in the way they're so honest they actually halt themselves. This is in response to the verse, why can't you write a track that's sensitive? It isn't because I just didn't think about it. It isn't because I just can't. These lyrics, this is the chorus. That's yeah. fascinating yeah. to be so unsure of yourself in the anthem. The honest, yeah, this honesty. But he says, I wish I could. I wish of course, I could the little do man, that. I wish you I, I wish, wish I, could. I could do that thing, but yeah. I thought about it. Mm, I yeah. wish I could not... do that. I can't do that. I have to do this other thing. Yeah, that's exactly. where it's coming from. I it's don't not, have I room for I can't be a nice person. <clears throat> I just have to expose these emotions. I have to not be what harsh. You want. I have to be angry. I have yeah. to show the darker side, I... not, uh, not, you know, sunshine and kisses. I think that's very well why he includes the... Uh, <laughs> The woman who says, of course, I would be dead because it probably very much is similar for him. If he did not do the catharsis, then you have he pent up rage that really could implode. Right. If you're always sensitive, you're never going to have that outlet. And so he's being that outlet for those people. So, yeah. Yeah. But it, it's it's clear he's, he's making a statement that he's not mm-hmm. the darling child of, of, uh, of Christian rock, what they would like him to be, perhaps. <laughs> um, moving on to the final track of the record, Normandy. So this is another... F- Five minute song, five minute four seconds, I think. Um, it, it, I mean, this this song left me speechless the first time I heard it. It almost sounds like it belongs on another record, but yet it doesn't. It, it's, it's got this slow burn intro that starts where it it builds so beautifully. Something they haven't really done on the entire record. They let you sit emotionally, instrumentally. With this intro- introduction, which I think is what thirty seconds, maybe almost a minute. With the um, yeah, with the interspersion of um, the drum work in and out of it, they they do actually build. It's not a riff. It's it's a, it's it's definitely more emotional than that. The funny it thing sets a frame is this actually does broach the sensitive 
at least in musical tone. Right. It actually and... does go down that route. It's more of a release, though. Um, a release, yeah. the kind of release that you, you, you know, you don't always have to release with, with right. the anger, anger, anger. At some point, even this album had to release, and I think this is the time. Uh, in fact, it, it changes style dr- drastically. I think in those first 30 seconds, it sounds downright alternative. Yeah. Um, the the voice starts to shift again. It almost goes back to that him sounding, you know, almost like an eighty style. I actually thought Swans for a little while, which was a, an interesting blend. They're, that band was an interesting blend of of the really really heavy and the really really light. So, uh, this also one of the great things about the music in this song was the use and the phasing in and out of instruments. It wasn't. St- steady in that you're getting you know guitar thrown through drums thrown through each instrument had its place and its moment to shine throughout the song you had much more succinct beat work also throughout this much more like in time didn't have anything fancy particularly going on but the bass really shone through uh so that was again one another reason why i liked it because actually we also get a new instrument here nothing that we really get before we have an electric piano here which actually darkens it up it sort of comps over the other instruments and it it, it thickens it out with its brightness you know with its brightness it actually makes it makes it darker because i think the instrument was so unexpected well yeah and also the brightness of that instrument completely contradicts the lyrics and how dark they are which is a um, dissonance that you really want in a song like this that makes it shine. And it was also metaphorical. This was them really starting to get uh, flowery with the imagery. I'm particularly fond of the lines. It seemed like a normal evening. We rode in silent walls between. Our wills like guillotines. If you break it up like that, though, you're actually killing that poetry that you're looking for. No, that was like the, it, that no, was no, the pacing. No, no, break it. Yes, but... <coughs> I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Between our wills, comma, like guillotines. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we rode in breathe. silent walls between our wills like guillotines. Okay, never mind. I think I heard you pause it really awkwardly, and I was like, oh. Well, that's because I'm actually pretty bad at quoting lyrics. And he's um, also very awkward. Too. But positive. just the imagery there. Just the imagery. It's a normal evening with such tension, such, like, pent-up frustration, yeah. pent-up anger, in just a short little line presented. That's that They were concise, yet completely flowery about it well this (laughs) this song is precisely punctuated and planned this is not this is not a song that's oh there's some lyrics here oh it's very face value oh we're just gonna throw it It, it's meticulous this song and unlike anywhere else in the album they're trying to convey a certain unease and it comes across from moment to moment throughout the entire song and i think this is one case because in 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 retrospect, most of the actual uh, musical nature of this album is very inflexible. I guess would probably be the best way to put it. It it's it has very specific roles. Each instrument had very specific roles to fulfill. Here, here I'd even say that I think you're going a little bit too far on this, Matt. I think they actually really added some fluidity to those music to those instruments. And while it was very well formed and very specifically formed, I think that it had uh, much greater freedom um, 
in what the actual... Uh, I think that's the alt style that I was speaking of. Yeah, yeah, it's what the actual musicians are allowed to do. I can see that. It's much, much Well, yeah, it's definitely it. much less rigid to style than the rest of the album. I definitely see that. I also feel the need not to overly analyze this song because I think it is a pretty fair and thorough summation of the previous... Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. I barely want to analyze lyrics to that extent anyway. I prefer the music, and you know that. Any case, I am going to quote a little thing here because it is just so... It is a summary in every in every sense. Every single thing that we've been saying is summarized in this, this one stanza. In, sil- in siren screams like rival factions, two stories are told, we never knew at any moment we might just implode. It's everything we described it's in the last two tracks, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't take this as particularly anything new. It's not, it's not a new story. We've gotten aspects of the greater tale up until this, but this, this is really describing what the album meant. In case you didn't get it before, you'll get it now. Well, this it's just, also what makes it a strong close. It's, it's a it's, final it's, soliloquy. Yeah, yes. and it wraps up the album very well, actually. And it's, it doesn't hurt that it really is beautiful. Yeah. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, that really good thesis paper you have to write in college, and at the end you're supposed to restate your thesis. You come back yeah. to their thesis sentence. Although they always say don't really restate well, your thesis. don't do it, but sometime. they are doing it here because they never really said it at the beginning. Yeah. It's sort of like the reverse. Um, well, even when they say don't restate your don't thesis, restate they really thesis. mean restate they your thesis. They want you to restate yeah. your thesis while not restating your thesis, but you're exactly. restating it. But and he, in, he restated poetically oh, in, case, sure. in a more, more prosy they're, way they're naming their album yes. from that one line these rival factions everything is a conflict and yeah. how is it going to end I don't know we might implode here it could be anything it could happen at any time which is interesting because even up until now I hadn't really thought about the album title and the fact that that's, they, that, that's them it's saying it's a conflict you album are. it's factions fighting against each other and he, he brings it home right he makes it personal it's himself and another person but using the word factions as opposed to right. armies <coughs> or sides we're or something on like that. the same side but we're two factions we're not agreeing here yeah and it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're necessarily enemies but you're obviously not seeing eye to eye on everything um but he does have war imagery though like you think guillotine you think french revolution you think violence extreme violence so yeah and well, I think it's, Normandy, I actually thought the Battle of Hastings, come to think of it. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it, too. Exactly. Part... He's he's giving you extremely violent word pictures, guillotines, and Normandy. Like, you you have a clear mental image of a horrible war when you say Normandy, but it's himself and another person, you presume, his partner in a car. It's mm. so intimate and yet so but unpersonal. At the same time, they're both in the car or... They're both in separate cars. Or one's hitting the other, or they're it's both someone standing hat. outside the There's car. So many well, even, can... Dan, even just strictly speaking the history here, we spent a lifetime on the beaches of Normandy in vain. What for, I can't explain. It's almost a to sail or not to sail, because when you're on the beaches of Normandy... Well, then again, this could go either way, because Normandy is also World War Two. That's where, you know, the first we invaded... Is to the, you know, yeah. That's the turning point of World War Two. I, I personally took it differently. I personally he took it as the French coming, the Normans coming across to invade England, which is yeah. the the pivotal moment for all of British history. It's a pivotal moment, and that's the important thing. But it's why am I on that beach? It, even if you want both, you can take both. It's lifetimes. Exactly. It's the French, but then it's later the Americans. Like you can do both. Why are we on this beach? Why are we having a war? I don't even know. Well, it's sort of like I see him there, standing there eternally. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know. 
but most like he can't he can't be one or the other. He'll always be, you know, if you go back to the Christian thing, he'll always be Christian in a way. It's not that that can ever be sort of unearthed from him. I mean, uprooted from him. Mm-hmm. That is. But if you go with the Christian thing of, and it, it, he talks about this attraction, like we clearly belong together, but there, so he's eternally on this beach. I am this thing. Yet, um, people are watching them crash into each other. They wish they had what we see and what we believe. Um, but then he says, I know better. So it's possible Mm. he doesn't even, that thing that everyone sees him as having, that faith, that sense of self, is what others perceive him as having, but we know better. Perhaps that isn't a thing he even has. Is he doubting it? Is it even there for him? Uh. Or even to some respect, the, the relationship implications here, the passion, just the pure passion it may not be as positive as everybody regards it. It may not even be there at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is really just a depressingly beautiful song. Or beautifully oh, absolutely. depressing. I, I definitely spent summers listening to the song every single morning. And it's like, you know, seven years later, I'm still listening to it. It's heartbreaking. And you can just keep every phase of your life. You can come back to it and look at it another way. Like, you see Battle of Hastings, I think World War Two. Right. Um... And now I think both. And now you think both. It hits everyone differently, but it's a thing that we all face. Like, what are people perceiving us as? What are we perceiving ourselves as? Is any of it real? Is it not? You know, this universal war or not a war. The big questions, man. Ooh, man. What's the meaning of life, right? It's funny because Beaches of Normandy, almost everyone usually thinks World War II. I only went back to England because I've been steeped in British history for like the last two months. But that's a really interesting, (laughs) another viewpoint that like expands it even further. And I, from, from listening to the whole album, like I get the sense that these guys are really well educated. I'm pretty sure they knew exactly. Yeah. There's a significance to the place, undoubtedly. They chose it well, not just for World War II, but because it's so large. And it's probably also because it's obviously got a very steeped history. Oh, sure, a blood-soaked beach, you know. Yeah, multi-time over. There's definitely an earnesty throughout this entire album because of the fact that, you know, many times we've said, oh, well, you know, the lyrics could be a little bit a little bit better here and there but then again, at the same time, when their lyrics aren't exactly at the peak of their of their prose prowess, you instead just you get this uh you get something that is on the nose because it's intended to be on the nose and those those are the tracks where he wants us to wants to reach out to you really personally and then there's times where he decides to cloud it in metaphor and that that i probably speaks to the times when he's a little bit more unsure about the state of the matter um that's very appropriate we often don't get that throughout the set uh throughout our, our lyrics in general when we're reviewing things it tends to be one or the other either, either the person is going to wax eloquence throughout because because he can or you're going to get very straightforward on the nose lyrics like for instance against me the transgender dysphoria blues that was just so uh cutthroat you know nothing you'd put on a bulletin board but mm. <sighs> But the self-awareness of the song, like you're just saying, like sometimes the lyrics are really not that on, and sometimes they are so profound. That's the thing. The middle um, ground here is right. what fascinates but me. But I think this whole this song shows you that he's really hyper self-aware, as does Caveman Jam in a sense, and then it leads into this. But it's quite possible that he's deliberately not doing good lyrics in order to draw your attention to exactly. the gorgeous lyrics later. I that think the irony. whole thing is planned, not ironic perhaps, just incredibly well planned. <clears throat> sometimes punk music needs to be bad mm. to, to get be, its point across like the riot good. girl it was supposed to be bad it was supposed to be i have an instrument and i'm slamming it um 
his bad lyrics may be intentionally bad. Just raw, I have a feeling, and I'm just going <laughs> to... There it is. I agree with that, and especially as I've looked through, uh, through a variety of punk, I definitely see the moments in which that was the instance, and I mean, in, when, in which that was the case, in which that was just the the accident by virtue of the genre that that any band decided on at that point and said hey we're gonna be punk this um i would have to wonder whether this was the entire reason for their style although it would make a lot of sense i really want to rate this particularly highly considering uh considering the theme at work okay it's it's a tight theme and also i mean what were the odds of the first quote-unquote Christian album uh, that we got would be so on the nose? Because, of course, I, I know I can speak from some experience in the matter that many of it is just a sort of reiterating thing, the kind that you do get in hymns, in which case uh, in which case it is just love God, and, and, and that's almost why the genre gets criticized a lot, is because it represents just one thing. This represents a cacophony of things. So... It's probably at the peak of the genre, in which case it's, it, it is the activism for the genre. That's a powerful role to play. Ideally, ideally he would want it to be somewhere toward the top of the genre or recognized as such. Okay, so? So the only nitpick, of course, that I have, and it does tend to be a big nitpick in certain areas, is the fact that I know from musical stylization that this could have gone so much farther. It's apropos, apropos in any in any any way you cut the pie. It's really really on the nose. But at the same time, it's the kind of thing that from beginning to end, me from a musical standpoint, it leaves me wanting more. Okay. Catharsis is not the only thing in my book. It's not the only thing that I have on the agenda. It's it's great when it comes across, but even then, I have my own idea of catharsis. I have my idea of catharsis might you know border on my border on classical at times, or or a really really fast solo, or something that expands. This still felt constricted at the end of the day. Then again, it, it has its reasons for being constricted. Of course, you can't have a series of one-shots, a series of very finite messages without having a strict pop uh, structure. So, I'm going to be a little selfish in this regard, just because of the obvious choice that they made, at the same time, the obvious choices of where they could have gone. Okay. 3.5. It's a lot higher than I was going to go with this album, but because the theme is so tight, that's something worth mentioning. Okay. They, they being Project 86, had a very specific idea when they made this album, and they presented it very, very neatly. Um... It's actually not really till Normandy that I had to start puzzling over what they're trying to say here. And it, it very readily became clear-cut. At the same time, it was, it was really presented very, very much up to the expectations musically. Going back to what, what Steven said, they could have gone so much further with it. Um, but this is an album that really does uh, become very... <coughs> 
uh, heavy in in the back end on quality for me. This it gets so much better as it goes along, with very little, very little dips here and there, as a whole. So it's really an album of all rising, as we were talking about last week. It really just quality wise keeps going higher and higher and higher for me. Um, I would have liked maybe a little more inspiration in in the use of the power chords. So the drums were tight and the bass was pretty good, but the guitar I could have could have done so much more to punctuate certain aspects of the songs. If you're going to be on the nose lyrically, do something with the music to do something special and to make it, you know, flip on its head. I really did enjoy so much of the of uh, tracks eight, nine, ten. It, they're, they're just so good, um, and I think probably the best part of the theme is they really don't they don't Christian band sure, but they don't have anything to do with Christianity. This is all about just life lessons and morals and everything like that. It's a great theme. It's a it's it's just what you should try to teach yourself and other people just how to act in the world in so many instances uh i love it for that it's it's a solid four for me it's a really good album it just doesn't do anything special on the musical front i feel like you did exactly what i did there you had that moment where you just had to pause and be like wow i'm between two completely yeah. separate fronts which we're I, rarely at it's like a four five on the on emotional the theme scale level. theme level for me yeah but like a three five a three on the musical level for me i'm like fluctuating back and forth so as i said catharsis can be done a number of ways mm-hmm. you know they chose this so for me this album was very it's funny it, it doesn't make sense to say retro but it kind of was for me because it's a kind of music musically that i haven't listened to in a long time i mean just in months recent months i've been on a nerdcore hip-hop kick and been listening to a lot of artists within that genre and this was something that was completely out of left field from what i've been listening to so for that it was kind of refreshing it took me back to a place in college or even high school where I listened to a lot more angry, angsty, cranky music because I was a cranky teenager. Just like every teenager. And oh no, they're just angsty, cranky as old person. I wasn't angsty at all. I, I hated mm. Catcher in the Rye. I you were just cranky. That's you were born kind cranky. Of angst. Okay. That's no one understands me, not even this dumb book. <laughs> um, <laughs> I knew a lot of people like that though, and they loved that book. But this, that book. this, this yes. album for me is one of those things that I really. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I did. There were highs and lows, and musically, it wasn't the best quality that I, that we come to kind of brush our nose at, if you will. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where it's going. Out of character. Did, I okay, loved it. You did not see what he did, and it was freaking yep, because hysterical. it's an audio podcast. Um, but no, se- seriously, <laughs> this album went places that I, w- I wasn't expecting to go, and I did enjoy, except for really Slaves to Liberty. I was kind of engaged the entire record. Um, music, uh, lyrically and vocally, it it was very close to what I grew up listening to on the more alternative industrial end, um, even though it fits other genres. It, it kind of does jump a little bit. Um, but I just, I really connected with it. I really did. And there the emotion can't be denied. I mean, there's so many tracks here where the singer is clearly pouring his heart and soul out 
or the heart and souls of those in the band or those who he rallies. Um, it's why I think I connected to Illuminate so well, even though it was very face value and kind of obvious. Um, and the, the, the power trio of the last three tracks can't be denied. 8, 9, and 10 are strong songs for the year. I mean, even though this is not a new record, it's new to us and we reviewed it this year, so it can compete in our stuff of the year at our year on rap and and i agree with john the the emotionality in some of these songs is very powerful more powerful than some of the other stuff we reviewed so i find myself in the same position john and steve are in and i imagine suzanne will be in the same position although she brought the album join so us she, in the awkward so pause please so we're not alone it it, it really does cause me to pause <laughs> it it really is mu- musically it's not it's not so advanced that I'm like scratching my chin. Oh, this is quite good, you know. But just the same, he has a Fu Manchu beard. <laughs> but but just the same, the lyrics really do make you think, and they draw you in. And it this was a three at first, and then quickly climbed to a three five for me while listening to it. But there's so many things that I've given them for this year and last year that they just kick it to that next level and really show what they're capable of. And I'm unfortunately on the same page as Steve, which is always an unfortunate place to be. Oh. Kidding. Kidding. I Take back the Fu Manchu thing. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I can't give it a four. It just, the, it falls short in too many places musically. But lyrically and emotionally, I connect with it on a level that I can't just rate it as average. And it's not just an even 3-5 either. It's, it's almost there. It gets to that next stage. So for me, I'm going to do something that neither of them have done, and I don't know that we've done it on the podcast. It's a 3-8 for me. No, I probably have done it. Probably. Yeah, he's You're raised, usually obnoxious. Yeah, I believe he once raised a 3-7-5 to a 3-8. Oh, maybe. A full But this is a 3-8. It's, 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 it's approaching 4, and it's not just a 3-7-5, you know, in the middle between. It, it, it really is a 3-8. It's, it's, it's approaching that next level. And I'm really going to go through their discography now, and I'm a little upset to hear that they don't really do a lot of this, but maybe the later albums, maybe the newest album is more in this vein, because I feel like they were approaching something really good, and if the newer modern albums really take that message finding to a next level, I feel like I might really connect with it. So for me, it's a 3-8. Far be it from me to... Uh to tell them where they are musically or where they should yeah. go musically. But I think they should really look in themselves and see where else that catharsis could potentially take them. And they yeah. might have the potential to reach a much broader audience. Yeah. Well, obviously I got this album in 2007 when it was new and their thing that they were pushing at all of the shows. And at the time, I was not into music this heavy in this country. So when I got it, I actually hated it it's got like weird bugs on the artwork and it was way too hardcore for me and I put it away for like two years and then I got a little older and I got a little more angry and it started to work for me now I'm you know seven years away from that point um and I'm listening to it analytically for the first time it's not me driving around in the woods at night um (coughs) you know writing writing a paper for college it's I'm a grown-up, I'm coming back to this album, I have a lot more life experience. Um, It works in my head so much better than it did when I first found it. Um, Listening to it now, there's sort of 
horror monster movie chords are are more profound. They hit me harder. Um, I've got more thoughts about um, raised in a, a Christian home. I have more thoughts about the church at large. And you know, you look at the political scale and and this idea of like a righteous rage and doing something and like victims like crying out and everyone's got conflict and sometimes that conflict is internal it's you versus yourself or you versus your neighbor you versus your your church your upbringing your partner um i think it works a lot better as i get older um and some of it is boring some of the music is the same and that annoys me because in my head it's always been this nostalgic album and it has a nostalgic as matt said nostalgic vibe but if you skip those tracks that don't really, that are the weak links, if we look at like the strong ones, the ones that kind of give me these chills slash whatever, this is the kind of album that I could give to someone and say, here is a CD I think you will find really interesting. And it's okay that it's a Christian band. It doesn't, it's not detrimental. Um, if anything, for me personally, it works better because it's, we're not all a bunch of Bible thumpers. Um, so... I can't it can be interesting, it a... even potentially life-changing for someone in the position. Right, exactly, because there's so much this um, mainstream view that all Christian music is Jesus loves me, la la la, I have a Bible and I'm going to hit you with it. And this is not that. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to fight against things. It's okay to clash. Conflict is acceptable in the proper context, like a righteous rage fighting for the things that are right and it's okay to doubt and all of those things i think it makes the the christian aspect much more real much more um accessible um it's not a wall of anger and bibles and damnation it's i'm like you i have problems i have things so i can't legitimate issues legitimate issues it's accessible like um you said it was accessible to pretty much anyone not necessarily a christian one and so that universal appeal i think really um pushes it up for me and it gets it past like a three rating because those couple of songs really suck they kind of ruin an otherwise perfect album but it's not a five i'm gonna give it a four um I think if I had been younger, I would have given it a three, but like as an older person with more, more thoughts, more, um, things to think about as an adult and people to talk to, um, I'm going to go with the solid four, um, just because it really, parts of it really give me chills and I can actually hand it to someone and say, Hey, listen to this album. I think it's good. I think it'll speak to your head, um, and your heart. So I'm going to give it a four. Admirable. Well, anything that has the potential, I think, to change someone's entire life philosophy always has to get that, you know, that extra push. We actually even had this uh, fascinating discussion beforehand on where you might be coming from, for instance, within the Christian faith. For instance, uh, my experience was one of, of a lot more, uh, it was more of an easy transition, if even a transition at all, because my experience was, was relatively positive. Granted, I got older and I realized that there were issues, but there was never any, I never had any personal connection with it, like anyone, anyone within, within, uh, Roman Catholicism that I said, you know, they are, they are making a bad name out of, out of Catholicism or out of faith in general. So for me, it was, it was more of a, a gradual change, but for other people, it can very much be, be sincerely dramatic. It can be life-changing, the kind of position, perhaps, where they are at the cusp of going either one way or another for them this album definitely could change their life on an overall rating um 
I wanted to just rate it in the middle. That's where I wanted to put this. I just wanted to smack it in the middle because that's what it sounded like at first. But it's really not. This is a buy. You should buy this record. <coughs> Go out and get it. Because even wow. even though musically it's kind of in the middle, it's worth hearing, if nothing else, because it's a Christian rock band that it doesn't really matter it that they're Christian rock. rock. Yeah. yeah. As it's supposed to be a good Christian band, will not... Uh, it's not you're not gonna go oh god it's a christian band a good christian band is simply i am another person yeah and that's what i think is really important especially in this time is to hear a band that represents that and so you should definitely go buy this if you like rock music of any kind go buy this record that's it well for reasons not of course them being a christian at all but i i think for the first time i might i might just personally disagree of course you can leave you with that but i would personally say listen only because i think I think begging someone to reach in and look past that, not just look past the fact that it's a Christian album, but the fact that it speaks of something very specific at times that is hard to turn away. I do believe you can interpret this in a more general sense, but I think it might be tough and it might be asking a little much for someone, for instance, to, to fork over their own money for uh, for something that they may not see or could possibly find someplace else. Someone in that position... I, I would I think buy buy would be a little bit of an overstatement. Just my opinion. I'm I'm in the middle. I think you should buy it on a song by song basis. How about this? I haven't done this before. It's a buy or listen, depending on where you come across it. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. It it, it Steve makes a good point. Depending on where you fall on this track, it's either buy or listen. But do one or the other. At yeah, least. do not skip. If do I can do this. decimals, then you're more than welcome to do that. Um, so, of course, since we have Suzanne Pike on the podcast, she is going to play music for us. But we will get to that. You got her name right. Hooray! I got it right a couple times. So your great, infection Mark. I'm really is excited usually... about that. Matt, you called me Matt a minute ago. Oh, did I? Oh. Oh, I guess I got it right. <laughs> uh, the tete and the dance. Anyway, um, so, you know, while we have you here, since, you know, I'm such a big fan of the Barbaric Yops, I just want to know, like, where did the band come from? Um, it was really... It sort of kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it was a couple of us in college, and we were... I guess I will say intellectual, like you can you can tell of the name if you're a, a poetry or Walt Whitman fan. Um, and we just had this idea that um, what was going on around us musically, societally, politically, um, that there was room for turning it around. Um, we really wanted to start something different. We wanted we sort of saw ourselves as the um, the forerunners of the, the at the time when we first were founded um, in in about 2008-2009 the indie rock movement was becoming a really big thing and we were seeing as it started to go more mainstream um, that it was kind of losing itself and so we wanted to twist it, turn it back onto itself and go so we really wanted to be like this indie, um, the subculture of the independent movement, but we wanted to be counter to it. Um, and at the, the time, we were really trying to be these forerunners of this independent um, subculture counter movement because we were really tired of everyone just going in one indie direction. We wanted to um, revert it and go back to our smaller roots, smaller venues, 
um, more individual message as opposed to this sort of more mainstream. And we decided that the best way to do that was to get our noggins together and make a band um, and write the things that spoke to us and the, the people we wanted to speak to. Right. Well, and I mean, that that very much is is apparent in your music. And I'm just surprised that you've made as much of an impact as you have, considering you say you wanted to not be this mainstream thing, and yet you've been this hit. It's been really hard um, trying to stay, you know, honest to ourselves. Um, I think it is kind of ironic, though, the way we named ourselves, like the Barbaric Yops. If you look at Whitman's poetry, he's singing a song of myself. You know, he's talking about a falcon that he sees wild, and he's like, I am not tamed. I sound my barbaric yop over the rooftops of the world. It's this intimate moment between him and the falcon, yet at the same time, it's a universal call. And we meant to be an individualist band and very, you know, small, but we've become a clarion call to the indie movement. Um, so we're just trying to like stay true to our core message and at the same time remembering like what we named ourselves, what we meant to be. So it's been really an interesting ride. And I had read Song of Myself. That was a direct quote from absolutely. it, not an extrapolation. No, that's the quote. quote. Interesting. That's it? You just wanted to No, I just wanted to verify. It. Well, I, 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 I really like Walt uh, Whitman, uh, and I didn't uh, remember Giles that one line. Giles and I are uh, one of the other bandmates. Giles is uh, really big Whitman fans, and that, that poem is just really one of our top things, and it just... Um, Interesting name, Giles. Uh, yeah. Isn't he British? Um, yes, but, um, uh, you know, raised there, and then it now lives here. Um... So it sort of has the British properness and then a very, that lovely twist of irony and that sort of dark humor. I'm usually amused by people named Giles, not because their name is oh. Giles. It just so happens that, that people I've met named Giles are very amusing people. Delightful. Absolutely yeah. delightful. Giles Corrin is a very funny food critic over in England, for instance. That's wow. Check him out. good to know. Fascinating, Steve. Thanks. I, I, I do what I can. Well, whatever. If you can demean my asides, I can demean yours. Another question I have: What is your what is your fan base at this point? How how far have you reached? We're not really sure. Um, this the whole rise of the internet downloads is sort of making it very difficult. Um, uh. When we started, it was very, you know, small underground gigs. You know, one of those like um, sub street level bar type places. You know, you maybe get like fifteen twenty people um, bopping your stuff. Now we don't. We do less shows. We do more. Um, sort of exploratory and a lot of our stuff is going online um we're seeing a lot of um itunes downloads stuff like that so i think who i don't know it's hard to tell now our fans have followed us and grown up with us but um i think there's a younger both a younger and an older crowd seem to be getting into it as well sort of that 30 something um art seem have their master's degrees into it but we're also seeing um, the high school kids who are trying to explore themselves seem to be getting into our music too. It's really strange. Well, how about if you had a, if you had a release or, or even just a private song that you've written, a private uh, project uh, that you would tout as, as is the essence of what you do, uh, would you have anything to, to recommend us? Um, to yeah, pitch? our album, um, Anti-Love Songs, is probably like the core of what we are, really. Um, it's a whole series of love songs, but they're not love songs, but they can be. 
fascinating. I mean, that's how I fell in love with their music. I mean, I'm just grateful that I have a mutual friend that introduced us. Um, a shout out to the Living Statue in New York, Galatea, who in- actually introduced us um, and made this connection happen, um, who we're hoping to have on the podcast at a later date. Um, before we have you sing, I, since we have a place for you to be where you can get a message out to the world and your fans, is there any advice or suggestion you have for those listening? Gosh. <laughs> or even as aspiring musicians. As Do you have any advice for musicians. them? Well, bang your instrument. You know, it's just, when we started, we weren't really musicians. We want, we were, we were, we were warrior poets in that sense and we've sort of mastered our instruments as we have come and I think that comes through if you think if you're trying to do this just go do it go to that music store buy your ukulele get that recorder you know and and just play it it doesn't matter what it sounds like do do your thing um be true to yourself and don't sell out course of course excellent well i hope you guys wrote that down um i know i'm moved so seriously we're gonna change it up a little bit um we're going to have our spam and then our preview of next week and then you know we will uh let suzanne sing but uh so first we're gonna have suzanne read our spam mail this week i get a break this week i I felt i felt i felt for instance we our, our guest has should have the honor of reading our mail. All right. So, should I... Who it's from, or... Read the uh, spam first. All right. So, to you guys. Paragraph writing is also a excitement. If you know that after you write it, not is it complicated to write. That message That's... lovingly brought to you by hack Gmail password. Well, it's an important message to bring. That really table. is an important message. And, and, and... From, from bigstring.com. 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 We should subscribe to them. Probably. No, that was such an important one. I, I really think that belongs in our in our links no, too. No, no less. Churay matters at Big String. It's really Big String. Interesting. Yeah. Is that that Hawkins website? No, that's that Little String. Are you thinking Big str- String Theory? No, I'm thinking a multi. You're crisscrossing Big Bang. Uh, no, I'm I'm crisscrossing. Too many theory. There's an no, exceptionally it's multi-string. large spring by which they boing. I am sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> before we wrap up. Um, I just want to uh, talk about how thankful we are to have had Suzanne this week, to have Sage and Kim last week, to have two guests back-to-back. Hasn't happened in a while since last year. So I'm very grateful to have all of these wonderful people connected, connected to me to have and bring to you. Technically three guests in two weeks. Right. Three guests in two weeks because we had two last week. Point, not point. Maybe a point. No. I'll give you a point. I'm taking a point. Um... So next week is my pick. I get to pick an album again. It feels like it's been a while. It has. And uh, this album came out actually about a month ago, and I've been wanting to do it since it came out, and I've pretty much been vibrating and chomping at the bit. I haven't listened to it yet. I've been waiting. But this is a man we've talked about a lot on the podcast, actually. He's been featured in different places and done a lot of writing. Um, Pharrell Williams released a full length, not with NARD, but on his own. And it's called G-I-R-L. I say it that way because even though it spells girl... It's all capitalized in Spotify and there are spaces between each letter. So it's D-I-R-L. This, of course, features the song Happy, which was on the Despicable Me 2 soundtrack. And um, 
Pharrell has shown great talent with other people that he's worked with. We'll have to see what his album brings. I know Steve is a huge NERD fan, so this will be interesting to see how he fares. And get ready, Matt. I'm going to say something I rarely say. You were right. It is Pharrell, not Farrell, that I've been saying for approximately nine years now. Well, that's right. Oh my God. Never happens. Um, Like. Suzanne, again, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute honor. Your your podcast is just really, really rad. I think it's awesome that you guys get together and you talk about the things you love, and that's really important. It's just delightful to be a part of this. So thanks. Um, so that's if you'd what be so- I'm always saying. <laughs> yeah, but I said it. True. Um, so if you wouldn't mind reading our sign off and then we will, uh, let you grab your uke and sing a song for us. Absolutely. Well, music is life and life is good. Clarice, you were an angel. Clarice, you were the dawn. How sweet you made my moments. How sad that you are gone. I just wanted you to love me as much as I loved you. I just wanted you to see me the way no other people do. Clarice, you were my passport. Clarice, you were my songs. You made my midnights brighter. You righted out my wrongs. I just wanted you to know me the way I tried to know you. I just wanted us to know each other as God intends two people to do. Clarice, you left me hanging. Clarice, you said goodbye. How happy is your lover? How empty is my sky? Now that we have nothing, can we make something again? Can we, Clarice? Come on, man. Why can't we have it? Oh my god, 